0: all right good to see ya I do have to say I like looking out before the sermon actually starts for just a second and seeing so many hi Timmy good to see you Um, and seeing so many of you that I love and uh, it is just fun to be together. It really is a good, good, this is a good church family. This is not a perfect place because we are people, um, and I'm the pastor, which that starts with me. But, uh, but this is a loving, good family. If you're a guest or visitor, I want to say you come to a good, imperfect, but place full of God's love and spirit. So, um, it's good to have you. My name's Dave. I'm one of the pastors here. We are in week two of a series that we started last week. That we're calling life in the spirit, and last week we really just kind of wet our appetites for what's coming in these next weeks—five weeks left of this series, including today. And let me just say this: um, our aim in this series is to ask, what vision does the Bible give us for the spirit-filled life? We've got a picture to the scriptures paint for the experience we are offered and can have with God himself through the presence and power of his Holy Spirit. And so, just by way of review, last week we talked about how through the Spirit we can experience the personal presence of God. How life with God... Uh, The closeness and intimacy that Adam and Eve had in the garden is now available to you and me through the Holy Spirit. If you are a believer in Jesus Christ, the very presence of God is offered to us. And that's something I think we kind of just skim over and take for granted. And yet when you think about the significance of that, it's huge. The scriptures talk about this time and again. Jesus says to his disciples right before he leaves as he's preparing to go to the cross and then back to the father. He says, I will ask the father to send you another helper, a counselor, an advocate, one who walks alongside of you. The spirit of truth who will remain constantly with you constantly with you not like in moments when it's convenient not in the high times not as long as you act or behave a certain way but God's spirit his very presence to be with you through thick and thin through the trouble the struggle the struggles and troubles and however you say those words and difficulties of this world even through tough times when you're speaking up front he's with you um amen um And then we talked about how the Spirit offers us power to live the Christian life. How over and over again the New Testament says, don't even try to live the Christian life without the power of the Spirit. This is not something that we should even ever attempt in our own strength. To do so is foolishness. Timothy, who is a young pastor and Christ follower who writes in the New Testament to a church, he says this. This is one of my favorite verses. He says, for the spirit God gives us does not make us timid, but gives us power, love, and self-discipline. It's just this power that we've been offered to live this life that we are created to live. And some of you have experienced that power. Some of you have experienced the transforming, leading and guiding of the Holy Spirit. And if I I put a microphone up here, you could come up and you could share. We're not going to do that. But if I did put a mic up, you could share about how God guided you or led you or directed you or empowered you or strengthened you for a specific time or through something in your life. Um, But then there are some of you out there, some of you who just say like, yes, yes. Yes, Pastor Dave, talk about the Spirit. This, I know what you speak of. And there's others who are a bit more skeptical. There's some skeptics among us, and that's okay. Um, Some of us haven't had these kinds of experiences. Maybe you're just not wired up to be an emotional person or an experiential person. Maybe you're more of a head person, and so experiential things come a little more difficultly to you. You don't know how to engage the spirit, you've never had that happen. You aren't even sure if you fully buy it. Maybe all this spiritual stuff is just a bunch of mumbo jumbo and I wanna get into that a little bit more today. But then before we get there, finally last week we talked about potential. We had presence and we had power and we talked about potential. We talked about what would it look like? What's the potential of a life lived surrendered to the Holy Spirit? And what we discovered is that the scriptures tell us that Jesus actually lived his life and found his source of power and strength from the Holy Spirit. That Jesus is our example of a fully Spirit-empowered life. In other words, we can only be like Jesus through the power of the Holy Spirit. We can only have his grace and peace and faith and courage and wisdom. We can only resist temptation. We can only offer healing and amazing works. We can only have lives that resemble his life through the Holy Spirit working in and through us. But what Jesus says to us is that that spirit, that same spirit that he leaned on, that he relied on, that even raised him from the grave, has been offered to you and me, has been given to us, that it's available to us today. And that's why Jesus says to us, whoever believes in me will do the works I have been doing, and they will do even greater things than these. Why? Because I am going to the Father, because the Spirit is coming to you. You can live the way I've lived. And so what does that mean? How do we engage this? How do we plug in to that power? What does it look like to have the Holy Spirit and experience the personal presence and power of God in our lives every day? Well, that's our question for today. And as we dive in, first of all, I want us to understand something really clearly. When we become followers of Jesus... When we trust the death and resurrection of Jesus for salvation, when we make him Lord of our lives, the one we're saying, you are now calling the shots, the Holy Spirit is given to us in that moment. When we trust Jesus as Savior and Lord, he, the Holy Spirit, moves into our lives. He moves into relationship with us. And I bring this up because there's confusion and debate about this in the church today. Some people believe that accepting Jesus, becoming a Christ follower, and receiving the Holy Spirit are two separate events. That you can actually be a Christian and not have the Holy Spirit. People who believe this would point to passages in the book of Acts where the Holy Spirit is being poured out onto the lives and into the lives of people who are already followers of Jesus, who already believe in Christ. And they would say, you can see right in the book of Acts that these are two distinct moments. Believe in Jesus, receive the Holy Spirit. It's often in circles um, like these called the baptism of the Holy Spirit. The baptism of the Holy Spirit comes after receiving Christ as Lord. People who hold this kind of theology are called Pentecostals. And the reason for that is they believe that what happened in Acts chapter 2, what happened at Pentecost, is a model for what all believers should experience. That we should experience Pentecost afresh all the time. But then there are others, and I would put myself in this category, that say, what we see at Pentecost, what we see in the book of Acts, is the Spirit being poured out on or given to the church for all time. In other words, what Acts is telling us, what we see at Pentecost, is that the death and resurrection of Jesus has empowered the Spirit of God and made the Spirit of God available to us in a way that it previously was not before. And so at Pentecost, in the book of Acts, the Spirit is poured out on the church and now the Spirit is available to everyone who believes in Jesus Christ and Lord as Lord and Savior. So there are two very distinct views. And I'll just say this, this is not something we divide over. There are really good, smart, intelligent, God-loving Pentecostal people, some of whom I am dear for friends with and have served with in ministry they're just two different theological perspectives but I wanted you to know that from my perspective kind of what we teach and preach here as a church is that if you believe in Jesus Christ you have the Holy Spirit in your life we see this in the rest of the New Testament after the book of Acts There's never a distinction between believing in Christ and having the Holy Spirit. They're never separated. Like, after the book of Acts, the a la carte menu goes away, and there's only the meal deal that's available. Spirit and Jesus together. And yes, I know that's a very crude analogy, but I'll read to you from Romans chapter 8. This is what Paul says in Romans 8. If anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, that's another way um, that... The Holy Spirit is referred to in the New Testament. If anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, they do not belong to Christ. In other words, you can't be a Christian without having the Holy Spirit. They go together. They are linked. Or in Ephesians 1, and you also, he's talking to believers here, you also were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation, the good news that you can now be reunited back into relationship with God through Jesus. When you believed, you were marked in him with a seal The promised Holy Spirit who was a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance. See, the Holy Spirit is this experience of the closeness of God. That's like a deposit. It's a foretaste of the experience that we will have in glory in heaven when we stand face to face in the presence of God someday. And that Holy Spirit that we're given comes to us when we believe in Christ. So when you receive Jesus, you also receive the gift of God's personal empowering presence, the Holy Spirit. However, and this is where it gets a little fun and interesting and exciting and opportunistic. Because, like we talked about last week, the Holy Spirit is not an it. The Holy Spirit is not some abstract force that we acquire. This is not Star Wars. This is not He-Man. This is not by the power of Grayskull. Skull. Child, children of the 80s. Can I get a hey man where like lightning comes down and all of a sudden we get this superhuman strength and all these abilities, and now we have this force that makes us, you know, these really cool people. No, it's not what the Bible talks about. It. I think that's the wrong way to think about the Holy Spirit, an impersonal force that we acquire. Um, instead, I believe. That biblically, we are to think about the Holy Spirit as a person who we have come into relationship with. So, if you think relationship instead of acquisition, you'll understand this it is possible to know someone, to have met them, to have been introduced, to have interaction and relationship with them, and have varying degrees of connection. You've had this experience because I have as well. There are people who I know who have a lot of influence in my life. There are people who I know who have little influence in my life. And many Christians, while having access to the Holy Spirit, while having relationship with Him, don't give Him much influence in their lives. Does it mean they don't have the Holy Spirit? No. It just means that they don't they're not very influenced by the Spirit. And this we find right in the Scriptures. Listen to 1 Corinthians chapter 3. This is Paul. He's writing to the church at Corinth. He's writing to believers there. And this is what he says. Brothers and sisters, I could not address you as people who live by the Spirit, but as people who are still worldly, mere infants in Christ. In other words, there are Christ followers here, Right? Followers of Jesus who have a relationship with the Spirit, but not very strong relationship. They're not living by the Spirit. They're not letting the Spirit influence them in the ways that God would want them to. In other words, Paul is saying, you can be a follower of Jesus and not live by the Spirit. You can be a follower of Jesus and just simply be living on your own by your own strength. So again, here's the point: the spirit is not a thing, it's not an it. It's not a power or a force that you either have or you don't have. It's not an, an all yes or an all no. The New Testament says the Spirit is a person who you can deeply connect with and rely on, but who you can also choose to ignore. You see, sometimes in the church, we get lost in the debate about whether people have or don't have the Holy Spirit. But I don't even think that's the question It's not the question of the scriptures. I don't think it's that really important of a question. The main question the New Testament seems to be asking is this. Are you living by the Spirit? Are you guided by the Spirit? Is the Spirit the source of your life and strength? For more on this, we turn to Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians is simply another letter to a group of people following Jesus, to a church in the first century, and Paul, who writes this letter, says this He says, Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. And that's a whole nother sermon for another time. Actually, we'll get into those verses in a bit. Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. Now, again, in this passage, Paul is writing to Christians who already have the Holy Spirit. And he tells them again, be filled with the Spirit. And there's some really wonderful, rich, deep, perplexing things about this little statement, be filled with the Spirit, because the original language of the New Testament is Greek. And in the Greek language, this verb, this little verb that's translated be filled, actually has three important characteristics to it. And they all teach us something about what life in the Spirit is supposed to look like. The first is this. This verb is an imperative verb. That means in Greek that it's a command. Paul isn't offering a suggestion here. This isn't him saying like, hey, if you're kind of in the mood or if you get around to it, if you feel like it, go ahead and get filled up with the Spirit. No, he's saying, do it, command This is how you must live. This is what you must do. So it's an imperative. The second thing about this verb is that it's in the present tense, which simply means this. It's happening now in this moment. He's talking about the present moment. He's not talking about some time in the past where you got filled. He's saying right now, be filled with the Spirit. And he's saying And it's continuous. It means it happens over and over again. In other words, be filled with the Spirit now. And then be filled with the Spirit later. And then be filled with the Spirit after that. And after that. And on and on continuously in the present forever and ever. Always continue to be filled with the Spirit. So it's imperative. It's a command. It's present. It means it's happening now and continuously. And then finally, this verb is passive. And that means this. Being filled with the Spirit is not something we can do to ourselves it's something that is done to us we are passive we are the recipients of this thing that happens so with all that being said a very literal translation of this verse would sound something like this be continually being filled with the holy spirit I command you to be continually, be being filled with the Holy Spirit. You make sure that this is something that's constantly and consistently happening to you. Now, to help us understand what that means, because how do I make sure that something is continuously happening to me that I don't really have control over? How does that work? To help us understand what this means, let me offer three images to us this morning, and they're all aquatic images because... I know it's Oregon in the winter, and we're missing the sunshine days of aquatic sports. So here's our first image this morning. Our first image is of a rowboat. How many here have been in a rowboat? When I was a kid, we would go to summer uh, a family reunion every summer on this lake in Wisconsin. It was just a little fishing cabin where our, our family would gather, and my mom and our sisters and their families, and it was right on this lake and. As a part of this little cabin, there were these rowboats, these little metal rowboats. And one of the great joys of my childhood was that, even though I was just a young kid, I had this freedom at this place to go wherever I wanted. I can go out, I can get into a boat, and I can row out into the middle of the lake all by myself whenever I wanted. I don't even think I had a life jacket with me, because we didn't care about safety back in the 80s. We just, you know, it was like, whatever happens, right? Judging my parents right now. Um... But one of the things I loved about being in the rowboat was I I would work hard to see how fast I could get that thing going, right? How fast that I could row and get that boat moving and how big of a wake I could create behind the boat. It was just a ton of fun rowing around the lake. But here's the thing about a rowboat, and you know this to be true. It only moves through your effort. If you row, then you go. If you don't then you won't, (laughs) Dr. Seuss time, all right. That's image, aquatic image number one. Here's aquatic image number two, an inner tube. How many of you have ever gone tubing on the Sandy River, kind of a famous tubing place in Portland? Get these names down, we're judging you, we know what happens on the Sandy River. Um, (laughs) No, here's the wonderful thing about tubing. You are completely passive. There is nothing you can do in an inner tube to move yourself forward. In fact, if you try to paddle yourself in an inner tube, all you do is spin in circles. And so your whole job, and this is the beauty of tubing, this is why people love it, is just to sit there and let the power of the river carry you downstream. Movement in an inner tube happens to you, not through you. You're completely passive. So that's image one, rowboat, image two an inner tube, and here's image number three. A surfboard. Now, if you've ever watched somebody surf who's really good, if you've ever, like, gone on YouTube or seen one of those surf videos or watched a surf competition of some kind, when you watch somebody surf who's really good, it looks so easy. It's not easy. In fact, I would say this. I'm a fairly athletic guy, and I just... Athletic stuff has come pretty easy to me over my lifetime, and as a kid, I would pick stuff up quickly. I could ski, I could snowboard, I could swim, I could, you know, play basketball. This Athletic stuff was simple to me. I have never, ever encountered a sport that after a little bit of practice, I could not, you know, master it or pick it up on some level until I tried to surf. That is one tough sport, especially for a 6'5 guy. It takes discernment, it takes practice, it takes balance, it takes power. You see, you are not passive when you're surfing, but you're also not the source of power. You don't make the wave, but you do have to learn to ride it. You do have to cooperate, you do have to be intentional. And I would argue this, life in the Spirit is a lot like surfing, It's not if you don't row, you don't go. You are the source of power. It's not sit back and just watch God work where you don't do anything and he does everything. God provides the wave, but we do have to learn to ride it. We do have to cooperate. It's a collaborative effort. We can mess up. We can wipe out. We can fall off. There's definitely a learning curve to both surfing and life in the spirit. And today I want to talk about how we start to serve. What the Bible talks about, it looks like, when we collaborate and cooperate with the Holy Spirit in our lives. Now, here's the challenge. I've gotten a lot of feedback this week about this series on the Spirit, most of it positive, most of it people being excited, but one of the big questions I have been getting from many of you is, hey, this Holy Spirit series, I love it, I do want more, I do want more of an experience of God, I do want that power of the Spirit that Jesus had and that is available to us, I want to live this life, Pastor Dave, so please tell us how to do it. Tell us what to do, tell us the steps to living life with the Spirit, and I'm in. Unfortunately, Pastor Carl's giggling because he knows this, That passage does not exist in the scriptures and I know this because as a part of this series I have printed off every single passage on the Holy Spirit in the scriptures and I've been reading through them continuously. And by the way, I'll just say as a side note, talk about a rich, wonderful, encouraging, empowering exercise. Read the passages, specifically the New Testament passages on life in the spirit, about the Holy Spirit in our lives and you will feel unstoppable, it's great. But there is never, and you will not find, a passage entitled Three Easy Steps to Life in the Spirit. Absolutely does not exist. And that's because the Spirit is more of an art than a science. It's not an equation. This is not a squared plus b squared equals c squared. This is a relationship that we all have to grow in. It requires experimentation, it requires trial, it requires error. Now that being said, I do want to offer some principles, some things that we do see in the scriptures that help us engage the life and the spirit that God wants us to have, some things that we can do in order to start the dance of learning how to to surf. And so I'm going to just offer you four things this morning, four places where you can step in and begin to cultivate a relationship with the Holy Spirit so that you can have a life empowered by the personal presence of God. Four things, just four things quickly. Number one, recognize your need. Recognize your need. In John chapter six, Jesus says, the Spirit gives life the flesh, that's human effort, that's trying to do it on your own, that's getting in the rowboat and just oaring as hard as you can, counts for nothing. That's John 6, three, Glenn. John 6, three, the spirit gives life, the flesh counts for nothing. You cannot row yourself into this life. And friends, the sooner you realize that, the sooner you declare it, the sooner you say, God, I need you the better. Friends, we see see this no more clearly than in the life of the disciples, than in the life of Peter himself. You know, the disciples walked with Jesus. They saw the things he did. They had like a front row seat to his life, to his miracles, to his ministry, to his teaching. They received direct instruction right from his mouth, but when it came down to it, Jesus is arrested, he's crucified, and where do we find these guys? Scared, timid, hiding, Afraid. Peter's asked if he knows Jesus and what does he do? Aren't you one of his disciples? What does he say? No. Three times, three times, he denies even an association with Jesus. And by the way, the the defining characteristic of Peter in his life that helped. You know, folks say, weren't you with him? Weren't you one of his guys? It wasn't like, man, you have the kind of power that Jesus had. Man, you have the kind of grace and mercy in your life that Jesus had. You must have been one of his disciples. No, people only thought maybe he was one of the disciples. Why? Because of his accent. You kind of talk like him. You have the same accent, this Galilean accent, right? Are you one of his guys? That's the only defining characteristic in Peter's life that associates him with Jesus until, until the Holy Spirit comes and the power of God is poured out into the lives of these disciples. Now these like fleeing, sniveling, scared, timid guys, all of a sudden, they're bold. They're, they're courageous. They're taking on the authorities. They're stepping out. And they're doing things in faith. What's the big change? The Holy Spirit. Read Acts chapter 4. It's like this amazing transformation. The entire, like, the, read the Gospels. And Jesus is constantly going, like, you guys are hopeless Man, how is this thing going to work with you, dudes? You're terrible. Um, And then all of a sudden we read Acts 4 and these guys are just lighting it up for God. Why? Because all of a sudden they decided to buckle down and get serious? No, because the Spirit of God had been poured out into their lives. Recognize your need. You cannot live this life on your own. It will not happen. So the question today is, do you see that? Do you see how much you need the Holy Spirit? Do you recognize that your own efforts simply are not enough? Are you willing to very explicitly and confidently stand before God and say, I need you. I need to get out of the rowboat. This rowboat's killing me. This rowboat's taking me nowhere. I need you. So first of all, recognize your need. Second, ask. Our points today are going to seem so simple, and yet I would promise that most in this room have not taken these steps. Second is just ask. Ask to be filled. Ask to be led. Ask to be guided. Ask to be directed. Ask to be empowered by the Holy Spirit. Listen to these words right out of the mouth of Jesus. This is from Luke chapter 11, verses 9 through 13, Glenn. I love that guy. Here's what Jesus says. So I say to you, Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be open to you. For everyone who asks, receives. The one who seeks, finds. And to the one who knocks, the door will be opened. Now, all of you are familiar with this verse, because every single person in this room has tried to use this verse for some personal gain at one point or another. <laughs> well, that sure sounds like if I just asked Jesus for something and knock at the same time that I can get what I want. Lord, I'm really hoping for this lottery ticket to win today, right? Like if we just, how come, or maybe you've, you've experienced this verse, you said, hey, Jesus says if we just ask, then we get it. And maybe you weren't even asking for something selfish. Maybe you weren't even asking for the winning lottery ticket. Maybe you were asking for something really righteous. Maybe you were asking for the healing of a beloved, of a beloved hurting person. Maybe you were asking for, like, The freedom from a deep sin that had hooks in you or someone that you know and love. Maybe you were asking for something so good and you said, Jesus, I'm asking. I'm knocking. I am dying to receive. And yet, The question is, is that what Jesus is talking about here? Is he just saying, hey, just ask for what you want and I'll give it to you. I'm like a genie in a bottle. No, listen to the rest of the passage. We have to read the whole thing. He says, and to the one who knocks, the door will be opened. Which of you, if your son asks for a fish, will give him a snake? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, he's saying, hey, your heart as a father, your heart as a mother, your heart as a parent is to give your kids good things, to give them what they need to be successful in this life and in this world. You have a heart and a posture to help your children, and you're evil. You have like weird mixed motives and sin all woven down into yourself, and you know that's true about you. And if that's who you are, then think about God. Think how he wants to pour out good gifts on us. But listen to the end of this passage. If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? This entire passage is about God's heart and desire to pour out his Spirit into your life. Because he knows that's what you really need. That's what you really desire. That's what your soul is truly longing for. God wants to give you his spirit. He wants you to be filled and led and empowered. He's dying for you to ask. And again, not just once, but continually, constantly. When should we ask for the guidance of the Holy Spirit? When we wake up. When we have a hard interaction. When we are sad, when we're afraid, when we need to parent well, when we're going to work, when we're coming home from work, when we need patience with a particularly difficult person, when we need to love our spouse better, when we need courage to say or do a hard thing, when we feel insecurity or pride welling up inside us and driving our thoughts and feelings and actions, when our kids are sick, when they're struggling, when my thoughts are selfish, when I'm tempted, and the list goes on and on and on. Friends, recognize your need and then ask to be filled. Ask for the strength of the Holy Spirit in your life constantly. Do life with the Spirit. You know, one of the things that I, I've been doing with my kids in the morning on the way to school, particularly my youngest daughter, we get to drive to school a lot, is I'll just say, Holy Spirit, you take control of my life today, of PJ's life. You work in and through her. Have your way with her friendships and her learning and her interactions with teachers and in me at work with my interactions with people and my sermon prep. God, help my sermon. Please, Lord, the congregation is begging you to help the sermon this week, right? But, but that's not enough. It's not just to do it in the morning and then tuck it away and then live your life on your own. It's throughout the day, every, every time you're facing something, to constantly be just inviting the Holy Spirit in to the way you're thinking, to the way you're approaching a situation. And we're going to talk more about hearing from the Holy Spirit and listening to the Holy Spirit in the coming weeks. But friends, a very simple step to life in the Spirit is just asking for the Spirit, inviting the Spirit in. To your everyday life number three learn to depend you see every single one of us has something or maybe a list of things that we rely on instead of the holy spirit you see and if we can figure out what those things are it will give us a very uh, much clearer picture of what it means to depend on the spirit instead the question is where's your dependence what do you depend on? And we go back for this to Ephesians chapter five. I promised you we'd go back, didn't I? This Is what Paul says. He says, "Do not get drunk on wine; instead, be filled with the Spirit." Now, let me ask this question: Is this passage about alcohol? No. It is actually about alcohol. It says, "Don't get drunk on wine." The CR crowd up here gets it wrong. I'm a little concerned, Judy. Uh, sorry to call you out. I'm just messing with you. Uh, I'm probably going to hear about that later. No, that's, it is, it's about alcohol. It's about depending on alcohol instead of the Spirit. But it's not, I would argue, just about depending on alcohol. I think this verse could easily read, do not lead on your own success. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. Do not rely on financial security. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. Do not find confidence in popularity. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. Do not get all intoxicated with being attractive. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. Do not rely so much on the love of your spouse or the success of your children. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. Do not seek to relieve your stress with Netflix or food or silly games on your iPad. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. You see, friends, that last one gets a little personal, doesn't it? Because I can relate to saying life feels stressful, overwhelming, I just need to check out for 45 minutes on this iPad with this great show on Netflix that I've been consuming for hours every day because I am binge watching the heck out of this thing, right? And I think the scriptures say, where are you going in the midst of your stress, Dave? Who and what are you truly depending on to help you make it through this life? And I'm not saying you can never watch a show on Netflix. I'm just saying be real aware of where you're leaning, of who you're leaning on, of what you're leaning on, of what you are truly depending on to make your way through this world. Do not fill in your blank. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. Fourth and finally, seek intimacy. See, intimacy is such a key part of the Christian life. It's maybe the key part of the Christian life. Being connected intimately with God is the goal for which we work, and it's the thing from which we work. It fuels us and it pushes us, right? We want more intimacy with God and we work from intimacy with God. And friends, there are are things that break our intimacy with God and there are things that help our intimacy with God, that build our intimacy with God. So you can break intimacy and you can build intimacy. I want to talk about breaking intimacy first. The scriptures tell us that we can break intimacy with the Holy Spirit. We're told that The Holy Spirit can be grieved, Ephesians 4, quenched, 1 Thessalonians 5, resisted, Acts 7, insulted, Hebrews 10, lied to, Acts 5. That we can actually offend the Holy Spirit through our lives, through our actions, through our motives, through our sin, Friends, this makes sense, right? Because the Holy Spirit is not just this thing that we have. It's a person we relate to. Of course he can be offended. It's just like any other relationship you have. Husbands, you can't expect intimacy with your wives, deep connection with her, when you're doing things to hurt her, and vice versa. And so the question is, are there any places in your life right now, any actions or attitudes or relationships or habits that are a barrier to your intimacy with the Holy Spirit? that are keeping the Holy Spirit from drawing close, from moving in, that are keeping the Holy Spirit at arm's length. You see, the power of God always parallels our intimacy with God. The power we experience from him always parallels our our intimacy with him. They are never disconnected. We must build intimacy then by knowing him and trusting him. Think about Peter in Acts 10. There's this moment in Acts chapter 10 where Peter, this is after the Holy Spirit's been poured out and he's living with God. He's up on this rooftop and the Holy Spirit comes and gives him this vision, this vision of the church that's now embracing the world, that's embracing people outside of the Jewish faith, that's calling the Gentiles, the entire rest of the known world, into the family of God. He gets this vision, this very clear moment where God speaks to him and leads him and guides him and you think, man, I wish God would speak to me in that way. But here's the thing, At the very beginning of that story, kind of kicking off the entire experience that, that Peter has with, with the Spirit, are these words. This is Acts 10:9. Peter went up on the roof to pray. You see? Peter has intimacy with the Father. He connects with the Lord. He has rhythms and habits in his life that keep him connected to the Holy Spirit. And so, of course, the Spirit has time and place and room and a willingness to work in and through Peter's life. Jesus uses this analogy um, in John 10 of sheep that know the voice of the shepherd. It's this idea like, my, my sheep know my voice. Like when Jesus talks, the sheep go, yep, that's him, right? Maybe you've experienced this. You've watched a television commercial that's narrated by a famous person and you never see their face, but as soon as they start to talk, you're like, I know who that is, right? You know their voice. The question is, do you know the voice of God? Can you pick up on the voice of the Holy Spirit? Have you spent enough time in the word of God and in prayer, connecting with him that when he speaks you can say yeah that's the Lord because sometimes I think we wonder is that you Lord or is that just the burrito I ate for lunch is that or is that just what I want to think is true and so man I'm having a hard time you see we must learn to tune our ears into hearing the voice of the Holy Spirit that only happens through intimacy and connection with the Father. The other thing about Intimacy is it only happens through faith. It only happens through trust. You think about the people that you that you feel most connected to, they're most often the people you have trusted the most. Maybe the most emotionally, maybe, maybe even like in a physical sense, you've been in a situation where you've really had to trust them. You've had to put your life on the line for them, or maybe you've shared things, right? But when you trust, when you put your faith in someone, the intimacy factor goes up. You see, faith always involves expectancy and risk. And friends, if we want to be close to the Holy Spirit, if we want intimacy with the Spirit, we must have faith in the Spirit. We must risk. We must go out on a limb with and for the Holy Spirit. Let me ask you this question. Is there anything in your life that you are tackling for God that you absolutely cannot pull off without God? Are you trusting him on that level? Are you building that kind of intimacy? Are you engaging or facing anything right now that if God doesn't show up, if he doesn't fill you with his spirit, if he doesn't lead you with his spirit, if he doesn't empower you and strengthen you and help you with his spirit, you are in big trouble. See, if you're not living that way, And you're not learning to walk in deeper and deeper connection with the Holy Spirit. And so this morning, friends, I just want to invite you to look at our list and just pick one. Maybe just ask the Spirit this morning. Spirit, which one of these do you need me to respond to? Which one of these, which step forward do I need to take today towards a more uh, encountered, empowered experience with you? Maybe you just need to to recognize your need. Maybe you need to just ask, God, fill me, lead me, guide me. Maybe you need to ask that throughout the day. Maybe you need to sort of set aside some time. Maybe you set the alarm on your phone throughout the day so when it goes off, you can just say, yeah, Holy Spirit, I'm inviting you in again into this moment, into this season, into this stretch. Maybe you need to learn to depend. Maybe there's some other things that you're depending on you need to take out of your life. Maybe you need to take a risk to a step of faith with the Holy Spirit, something he's been asking you to do, but you've been hesitant. Maybe you just need to spend some time and seek intimacy. I do not know which one it is for you, but here's what I believe. I believe that God is longing for you to ask and seek and knock and come into a deeper relationship with him through his spirit. Because here's the truth about God. There's always more of him to experience. There's always more of him to experience. He always wants more of himself for you. That's his heart. And so as we close our service today, I invite you to come to the table where we remember the death and resurrection of Jesus. We remember this this moment where God gave his one and only son to die on the cross and then raise against a new life. The very thing that empowers us and enables us to have this relationship with God through his spirit. So I invite you to come today. I invite you to come and declare again that Jesus is Lord and savior, that his death and resurrection are central to your life. And then, and then say, Lord, how do you want me to live from this place, from this table, from this gift into a full life with you and your spirit? Spend some time with the Lord, and then when you're ready, come receive the elements on your own. And we will close this morning by singing and worshiping a few more songs together and inviting God to fill our lives. Let me pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you for this mysterious, hard-to-put-our-hands-on, no-formula-for-him spirit that you offer this relationship with you, Lord, where you can work in and through us, where we don't have to do it on our own. I ask, God, that you would give us clear steps forward, that we would be willing to jump on some surfboards and risk wiping out or looking silly or tumbling over, Lord, that we would begin to explore what it means to move forward with you, but by your strength and by your power for the glory of of your son and to lift up his name in this world. That is our prayer. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.